Lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Throws across his body, and he got him! Looking away, McCann around third, throw from the outfield is up the line, inside the park home run! He gone! And he makes the catch up against the wall. And he's going to watch it fly. Strike three called. He got him on strikes. And welcome to the Voice of the Turtle, a podcast feature of the Bless You Boys website. We are SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. You can find us online at blessyouboys.com, on Twitter at blessyouboys, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash byb.tigers. I'm your host, Hook Slide, along with my partner, Rob Rojacki. And Rob, uh, we, we did a Christmas show. We took two weeks off. I remember having a New Year's Eve party with some really good champagne, and then like after that, it is it's it's a blur. I woke up and it had been like a month since we did a podcast. What what happened? Is this is this thing on? Yep. Yep. Are we are we recording? I I think so. All right. Am I dreaming? (laughs) Am I still hungover? We might be. Yeah. 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 Especially after yesterday. What happened yesterday? Well, you know, we'll get into that. Right. Oh, God, seriously. <laughs> I know what happened yesterday, but for a half a second there, I completely blanked out and forgot. And that's the kind of month that it has been since the last the last podcast. So, uh, clearly, the Tigers' front office is in some way being controlled by this podcast because they seem to make all of their off-season moves within 24 hours of one of our shows. Yes, and the Tigers are making moves, but you know what? So is everyone else. Chris Davis has a new home. Ian Kennedy has a new home. Yuana Cespedes is... Well, that's still to be decided. Uh, We're going to get some listener questions in this show, as usual, and then we're going to talk about what changes we would like to see Major League Baseball make in the near future. But before we do all that, let's round the bases and talk about the new look of the Tigers outfield. The Tigers already had Kate, but hey, one good Upton deserves another. Coming up after the break. pounds ready delivers as a fly ball left field. This one's deep. This one's got a chance, and this ball is gone. A home run. Ian Kinsler delivers the walkoff. Number six for Ian. He rounds third. Heads into the mob scene at home, and the Tigers take the series from KC. A walkoff home run from Kinsler. All right, let's do this, Rob. Rounding the bases. One good Upton deserves another. That's the big news. And and people think I'm joking about this. We're, we're not kidding. We decided to do a podcast, and within uh, 24 to 48 hours, the news breaks. The Tigers have signed Justin Upton. We, the, we didn't decide to do the show because of the signing. It, it happened in reverse. Praise well, I had, post, I had posted on the site, you know, we were looking for questions, and yeah. that was at, what, 2, 3 p.m. Right. that day, and then, you know, the Upton news. Well, first, you know, the, the Upton, I guess, rumor breaks on Twitter, and we're like, okay, you know, we'll write about that. And, like, five minutes later, the deal was done. It's because Al Avila reads the site, and he said that they're going to do a podcast. I better give him something to talk about. He has been, like, on point for us this this offseason. <laughs> And maybe we got to slip another $5 bill or something like that. Well, think about it. If if that's the case, then if we had went ahead and decided to do a show after New Year's two weeks ago, maybe Justin Upton would have got signed 
earlier in the season. Maybe. I don't know. Let's talk about Justin Upton. Let's talk about the specifics. Six years, $132 million, but there's there's an opt-out clause. Tell me about it. Well, the opt-out clause seems to be kind of the new trend in baseball this offseason. Zach Grinke uh, exercised his opt-out clause. But I can't talk. Um, he exercised his opt-out clause in his contract with the Dodgers uh, and then ended up signing a gigantic six-year deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks, which we talked to AZ Snake Pitts Charlie Gibo about uh, a few weeks earlier. Um, but now it seems like every free agent under the sun is getting their own opt-out clause and, you know, people are starting to worry, you know, is this putting a little bit too much pressure, too much risk on the teams, uh, you know, on the team's behalf. But in terms of Upton, I think that, that the opt-out clause actually works because, you know, as a 28 year old, he still has, you know, several productive years ahead of him. But if he goes out and puts up great numbers for the next two years, he can walk away. And the Tigers aren't necessarily picking up the last four years of that deal, you know, when he could potentially hit his decline. Yeah, I mean, it does. It works out for the player's benefit, obviously, that, you know, if someone like Justin Upton has a monster couple of years, then good for him. He can go out and try to get, you know, more money, greener pastures, all that good stuff. Uh, from the team perspective, though, it's kind of like if he goes ahead and has that monster couple of years, that's so much the better for us, right? I mean, where's the downside to this? I guess the 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 losing pitch would be he sucks for six years, does not opt out, and then we're stuck with him. Well, that's obviously the worst case scenario. Uh, I think what a lot of people are concerned about with these opt-out clauses is, you know, what if he comes out and has a couple great years? Yeah, that's great, but then you lose him. Um, and I think that a lot of people are kind of scared off by that, whereas they're not necessarily looking at, okay, now he's 30. What's he going to do over the next four years? For instance, like, would you be happy signing Justin up into a four-year, you know, what, roughly $100 million deal or $90 million deal or something like that? And, you know, the the answer to that question, it's obviously tough because two years is like an eternity in baseball years. It's like double the length of dog years um, like to just kind of determine to determine you know what exactly is going to be happening you know with the team then what what are they going to look like are they still going to be good have we won a world series by then are we a last place team by then is someone dead uh, we don't okay. we don't know um and so you know i think that you know minimizing their long term risk especially for a team that already has a few you know beefy long term contracts on the roster if they can kind of squeak out from underneath whatever whatever they're paying upton then you know, that's all the better. And I think they can worry about the rest when, when they come to it. Yeah. And you bring up a key point there. That team composition can change so much in two years. And I saw somebody put out on Twitter uh, the, just listing off all of the names of the Tigers players that are coming off the books uh, between 2017, 2018. You think about, you know, Sanchez is coming off the books. I think Victor Martinez is right around there. There's a bunch of, uh, of players and their hefty salaries that are coming off the books at right around that time that Justin Upton could be deciding to opt out because he's had two awesome breakout years. It, there's just, it, it opens up a world of possibilities and yeah, I get it. You know, if he's playing like out of his mind, you don't want to lose the guy. On the other hand, that's, that's two years from now. And if everyone in baseball is taking these weird two and three year opt outs, then the market should be kind of replenished in that period of time. Anyway, you may have a whole, you know, whole pool of, of guys to choose from. I don't think the Tigers are, are necessarily looking at it that way. I think Alavila has shown his emphasis is let's build up the farm system. Let's start, you know, bringing some talent up through the, the pipeline, which again, fine. If Justin Upton is great for two years and opts out and is gone, you, you never know. But someone like Michael Gerber could be 
ready to step up and take take that spot. Yeah, uh, there are just a lot of different things that can happen there. Um, you know, you kind of mentioned that, you know, look how much a roster can change in two years. Let's go back here. I want to read you off some of the names on the 2013 Tigers roster. And, you know, we'll think about where they are now. Alex Avila, Prince Fielder, Omar Infante, Johnny Peralta, Andy Dirks, Austin Jackson, Tori Hunter, Don Kelly, Brian Pena, Ramon Santiago, Matt Tuiasasopo, Avisaya Garcia, Hernan Perez, and Danny Wirth. And that's just the position players. There are so many players in that that are no longer in the Tigers organization on a team you know that was just around two years ago. Uh, and so there's so much that can change there that I'm not necessarily worried about the opt-out clause. And you know, with Upton, I think that he's as safe of a bet as any, you know, barring injury, really, that he's going to take that opt-out clause because at 30, he's still going to be young enough that he could probably go out and get more money. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot can change in those two years. But right now, that free agent class is looking a little bit barren. And he may be kind of the crown jewel of that free agent class and get an even bigger contract than what he has now. Uh, Sparky Anderson once said, and I have this quote on my signature on the site whenever I post a comment that said something to the effect of, hey, give me 25 guys in their contract years and I'll win you a championship every single year. Uh, kind of getting this idea that, you know, when a player is in his contract year, he knows he's uh, being, you know, auditioning for the next uh, contract that he's trying to get. There's maybe a little bit of incentive, a little more motivation to go out there and just really do just crush it. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, that's that's kind of good for for us that Justin Upton has that opt out. He'll have that extra motivation, I think. Um, not that you want to give too much weight to things like motivation or other intangibles, but still, it's in his best interests to absolutely play out of his mind for a couple of years. And uh, with with the Tigers, you know really gunning it now as uh mike illich had said you know the pedals on the floor we're going for the championship seems like a good good addition but rob i'm going to back up a little bit because we've had months leading up to this months where we thought the outfield set and alavila was saying as much he was giving indications i think we're happy with the offense we need to focus on pitching now but we were looking at ghost maven and tyler collins as an everyday you know platoon partner in left field now, I was prepared to accept that. I was prepared to say, hey, I think they can still make that work. The pitching looks good enough to maybe, uh, you know, make it up on the run prevention side, even if they're not going to score as many runs. Uh, so I was there mentally, emotionally ready. We're going to do this. And I kind of got irritated with all the people just complaining constantly. They got to fix the outfield. They got to fix the outfield. Okay, so they went and fixed the outfield. Did they really need to do that? Uh, my initial, see, my initial reaction to the Upton deal is that it was necessary. Um, you know, there aren't many absolutes in baseball, you know, anyone that says, you know, you always do this or you never bunt or, or what have you. Um, you know, there are very few must win games in an 102, 162 game season. Um, but I really thought that this was kind of one of those necessary moments. You know, the Tigers had a, a you know, $180 million payroll. And they're still running out, you know, potentially Tyler Collins every day in left field. You know, they could be running out Ghosts or or, or Cameron Mabin against left-handers. Um, and, you know, it just didn't make sense for, you know, the caliber, caliber of players you have elsewhere on the roster. Sure, you can mask those flaws, but at the same time, when all it really takes is just a little bit more money to go out and get a player of Upton's caliber, especially on, you know, the kind of contract that we've talked about before that he may end up trading like a two-year deal, you kind of got to do that. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily costing the Tigers prospects. Yeah, they lose a third-round pick, but, you know, at, at this point, I think that's really just kind of negligible. Um, 
you know, I, I, I took it the other way. I was really hoping they would fix the outfield. I guess I would have begrudgingly accepted it if they had stuck with what they had. You know, maybe they were looking to make a smaller move. But I'm really, really happy that they made this move and got, you know, a player like Upton to really kind of solidify both the outfield and the lineup. Yeah, I guess my biggest concern with, you know, the idea of, oh, they have to do something to fix the outfield and saying, well, it looks like they already did. It looks like they went and made the big moves they were going to make. I, I thought at the time, look, if they were going to get Cespedes, they would have done it by now. They wouldn't be making all these moves to solidify, you know, what looked like a set outfield. My biggest concern was, oh, please do not get stuck with some six or seven year, you know, 150 $175 million contract because we don't need any more of those. And so I guess the Justin Upton signing for me kind of meets that criteria because of the opt-out clause. I'm not as if, if it had just been a straight six years, 132 million, I kind of would have cringed and said, no, I think he could have made it work. But you're right uh, to have Tyler, Tyler Collins being your everyday left fielder. Uh, we were we were really leaning on a lot of things going exactly the right way for 2016 to work. You're leaning on. Uh, Anibal Sanchez having a bounce back year. You're leaning on Justin Verlander being the way he was the second half of last season. You're leaning on some of these guys. Daniel Norris has got to be good. Everyone's got to be just top of the game. Victor Martinez doesn't have any wiggle room for error. Mar- Miguel Cabrera has to be healthy. Yeah, a uh, lot of a uh, lot of question marks, a lot of narrow parameters, and I feel like what just happened is we got some breathing room. And let's, I mean, let's talk a little bit about what what this actually means for the lineup because. As I was saying to you yesterday, Justin Upton is not one of those guys that I necessarily uh, kept track of throughout the years. So it's kind of I had to go back and, you know, kind of watch some videos and look at some numbers and say, who did we just get? What kind of production level is it? The one number that I care about and have been preaching for, for months now is that runs created spot and, and saying, look, you Cespedes left us with about a 97 runs created deficit. And when I go to the baseball reference page, I look up Justin Upton, his 162 career average is 101 runs created they have filled the Ioannis Cespedes spot that makes me feel good well I guess my question for you is what has uh Upton done over the just the last three years because he's definitely picked his game up a bit offensively over the last few years ever since ironically leaving Arizona Hmm. is when everything started uh bumping up he's put up a WRC plus of at least 120 in each of the past three seasons um you know maybe part of that is due to uh him just going to a more pitcher friendly environment and I think that the the league adjustments that go along with that uh could be playing a role in that um so you know uh that may you know is kind of a conversation for another time um, the the number that I'm comparing uh, Upton to Cespedes with is his walk rate. Uh, you know, Cespedes has walked only in about 6% of plate appearances in his career. He was under 5% last season and has been trending downward in each of his major league seasons, whereas Upton's been above 10% in each each and every season that he's been in the in the major leagues and or maybe not every season but he's been around that 10% barrier throughout his entire career and was at 11% last year sure he's striking out a little bit but at the same time he's getting on base in more ways than just you know hitting for average uh, he's hitting for plenty of power along the way uh, if you watch any video of him you're noticing that he's hit some bombs for home runs uh, and that may be you know part of the reason why he's not as prone to you know hitting better in a a more hitter-friendly environment because he has so much raw power to his game. Uh, But this is a guy that, you know, he's a prototypical 
prototypical power hitter, but is getting on base in other ways too, and still hits for you know a decent average. Other than last year when he dropped off a little bit to around 251, but we'll see if that's just a one-year blip or if he's kind of selling out for a little bit more power these days. It did look very Cespedes-like, at least in the two most important numbers ever created by baseball statisticians, namely home runs and and batting average. Ha ha ha, that's a joke. Uh, but looking at his batting average and his home runs, I went, well, there there is a little bit of Cespedes there. It's, it's not a batting average that's going to, you know, necessarily sniff 300 or that territory. You're going to get 260. You're going to get, you know, maybe 270. Uh, you mentioned last year being kind of a down year for him. But it, it, looking at the home run rate and saying, didn't he hit something like 29 or 30 home runs last year? And another like 25, 26 the year before that. Uh, you definitely have a left fielder now who supplies some much needed power. Yeah, he hit, I'm looking now, 26 last year, 29 the year before. Uh, you know, he's been at 26 or better in five of his seven uh, full seasons in the major leagues with a couple years at 17. Um, so every year, you know, he's really kind of putting up plenty of numbers there. Um, I'm not necessarily concerned about him moving to, you know, a different park or a different league or anything like that. You know, he's been around long enough that I think that we can kind of, you know, accept that, you know, even though he is a rather streaky hitter. He's going to have months where he's scalding hot and can even carry the offense. Uh, and then he'll go cold for six weeks or so. That's just kind of how his game is. Uh, but he's, you know, been very consistent from year to year, putting up, you know, similarly productive numbers each, each and every year that he's been in the majors. Now, if I am woefully ignorant on his offensive talents and just sort of scratching the surface myself, I really know nothing about his defense. What can you tell me about uh, you know, that was one thing that Cespedes did bring to the table that was nice is just a crazy number of defensive runs saved out there in left field. Can Upton, I mean, I don't expect him to, to do Cespedes-like things out there, but is he at least not going to be a disaster? I don't think I've ever seen a defensive highlight from Justin Upton, uh, you know, and that's both a good and a bad thing. You know, he's not necessarily throwing guys out from the left field fence like Jonas Cespedes does, but he's also not bouncing throws into the infield like Delman Young or Ryan Rayburn. Um, you know, the the numbers suggest that he's, you know, a fairly average guy. He's at plus 19 defensive runs saved for his entire career. Uh, ultimate zone rating or UZR has him at 0.5, which is right at league average. Uh, you know, his arm definitely isn't what Cespedes is, uh, but it seems like he makes a few, you know, he, he does fewer of those, you know, kind of family circus routes where he's going all over the outfield to to get the ball there. So so we'll see, um, you know, if he's a perfectly boring left fielder as far as defense goes. I'm happy with that. Oh, right. I, I don't care if he's boring and not flashy as long as he's not, you know, the opposite end of that spectrum. Like you said, Delman Young style or Ryan Rayburn, you know, helping natural fly balls get over the fence with a little bit of flair. That, that's fine. As long as he's not a defensive liability, then the offensive uh, you know, uptick that he brings to the table is actually a good thing. So it sounds like overall a really, really good signing. I, I, it's hard to see a downside, except when you start looking at the payroll, you look at the fact that they're definitely into the luxury tax now. And we were talking you know, about this maybe being a good time for the Tigers to reach out to J.D. Martinez and get an extension done. Is there any chance that you think they're going to still do that now? It's tough to say. Um, you know, they're a little bit, I think they're like a couple million dollars apart on their uh, negotiations for next season's contract right now. Um, you know, they still have Martinez under control through the 2017 season. So we'll see exactly what happens as far as, you know, any sort of extension talks. Um, that may even be put on hold until the Tigers are kind of sure that Upton opts out. 
So we may be looking at Martinez actually hitting free agency before he receives any sort of serious offer from the Tigers. Um, so we'll see. But at the same time, I guess I would rather have, you know, Upton locked up for these these next two years and the Tigers guaranteeing that they're going into 2016 with the best roster they can rather than adding another big contract to the payroll and kind of, you know, trying to get by in other areas. I'd rather have them go for it now than, you know, try to pay their boy in Martinez and, you know, still jeopardize more of the future that way. It will be very interesting to me to see the approach that Alavila takes in this situation, uh, just because, like I said, I, I really get the feel that he is dead set on building up the farm system and starting to produce some major league talent from within, you know, from the Whitecaps level all the way up. And, you know, when you start to look at some of those names again, guys like Derek Hill, still considered a top prospect, uh, Kristen Stewart, you talk about Michael Gerber, Winton Bernard, some of these other names, um, it, will, it will say something to me. If Alavila decides to go ahead and let J.D. Martinez, let's push that off another year and see what happens. Uh, just to me. I don't know. We'll see. I, I wouldn't mind them locking him up for an extension. But, you know, you talked about how this this opt-out clause has become the new trendy thing to do. You got to wonder if that starts to become a, a factor in, uh, you know, in doing contract extensions. It definitely could be. Um you know, I'm trying to think here if there are any players. I know that Giancarlo Stanton with the Miami Marlins has has an opt-out clause. Uh, I believe his is after like halfway through his 13-year deal. Um, so we'll see if he ends up taking that. Uh, but, you know, that, that may end up being, you know, kind of a thing too. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's going to take place with Martinez because he's, you know, going to be, I want to say going to be around 30 when he hits free agency. And then after that, you know, you're looking at, you know, pretty much every year after that, his value is going down just because of his age. Uh, no matter what kind of numbers he puts up, he's going to, you know, struggle to get that long-term contract there. So, you know, when he hits free agency after the 2017 season, he's kind of got just that one bullet there. Uh, you know, so we'll see exactly what happens with him. Indeed we will. And it will say something when it all goes down. In other news, this is the Rob Rajaki is a total dick to me segment here. Because it's here in the show notes and you put a name of a thing that I have to read. So here it is. Bruce Rondone is going to miss the Tigers caravan this year because he's sick. He has a virus and it's a virus that's the ch chicken chikungunya. I think so. I don't even know how to pronounce it. It sounds like an Indian dish and now I'm kind of hungry. Uh, what what What's this virus? So it is a virus that I believe is transmitted by mosquitoes, uh, you know, a little bit more common in Caribbean countries. Um, I actually had a patient that had had this, had this virus. Um, she was sick for a while. I didn't get that part of this, thankfully. Um, but then, you know, when she eventually came in and saw me for physical therapy, she, you know, was having a lot of joint pain. I believe it was like her hip that was bothering her quite a bit with that. And it really kind of took a long time for some of that to go away. Um, you know, everything was just kind of very, very sensitive and that she couldn't do, you know, a ton of things before that hip really started to bother her. So, you know, obviously everyone's different and Rondone is receiving more, more consistent care. I won't necessarily say better, but more, <laughs> more consistent, uh, still more consistent job, care <laughs> for his, uh, for his, uh, for his, you know, ailment here. Um, but we'll see what happens, you know, if this, this could, you know, ultimately be something that limits him, you know, in the early part of 2016, 
Uh, you know, it, it really did kind of linger that long, at least with, with this woman. You know, I'm not sure how other cases have panned out. Uh, but this is, you know, the type of thing that if he has you know, some longer-term joint pain there, we may see, you know, kind of another another lackluster season from Rondon. And that, you know, may not necessarily be his fault. Well, we'll go with that then, I guess. The the, the chicken gunya virus. <clears throat> uh I guess that that raises other questions, but maybe this is something we should push off till till later in the show because I know we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, where the Tigers stand right now with the roster and the pitching and the, the bullpen and so on and so forth. But yeah, that does automatically for me say, you know, if Bruce Rondon is potentially, possibly, maybe going to be off his game a little bit, even for part of this this upcoming season, are the Tigers then prepared uh, for that contingency for with, with a contingency plan for the bullpen? But as I said, we can probably address that just a little bit later in the show. Let's wrap up then this Rounding the Bases segment. When we get back from the break, we'll go warming in the pen. And I want to talk about, are the Tigers World Series favorites now? I'll give you my best guess on that when we get back. Here's the 2-2. It's in the fly ball, right field. Deep and down the line, and gone! Victor Martinez with a two-run shot. Tigers back on top here in the seventh. And we are back from the break and ready for the warming in the pen segment. I tease this segment by saying, are the Tigers World Series favorites now? And the reason why I'm teasing it that way, Rob, is because we're going to talk a lot in this segment about what the other teams in Major League Baseball have been up to. Uh, you know, we have news now that Chris Davis has signed a contract and Ian Kennedy has signed a contract. There's, there's others that have that we're just probably not. There's too many to list here. Some oddities out there as well, like uh, Al Albuquerque apparently signing with the uh, the Los Angeles Angels, interestingly enough. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what these other teams are doing and what that does to kind of the overall big picture. And I know we talked maybe, who knows, three, four podcasts ago about when uh, the Bovada Sports site had released World Series odds. And they put teams like the Chicago Cubs are way at the top and the Giants are up the top. The top three are like the Cubs, Giants, and Red Sox. The poor Tigers are down that list at like 25 to 1 odds. There's basically nobody thinks they have a shot. Uh, I did check the Bovada site before the show, and those odds have not moved. So uh, it's it could be a case that Bovada just has not caught up with it yet, hasn't adjusted the line, or the betting public doesn't give a crap and isn't putting any more money on the Tigers. But uh, interesting to see if, if they become any more of a favorite uh, after the, the Upton signing. Um, the Orioles ended up signing Chris Davis. After all of that, after all the the waiting and the, you know, he went so long. Here we are in mid-January and he still hadn't signed with anyone. He ends up going back to the Orioles. And and I'm just, I'm really hoping that the way that went down is that he went and stood in like Camden Yards and had the boom box over his head, you know. (laughs) How does does this happen? How does he end up going back to the Orioles? And and for that... Well, for that matter, Rob, do you remember there being any other team really heavily rumored to have been involved at all? Not necessarily. Um, you know, for whatever reason, something about the Cardinals seems to come to mind. But I don't know if that was just someone throwing, you know, stuff against the wall or if, you know, that was actually a rumor at one point. Uh, it seems like, you know, we went so long without really anything to talk about that, you know, it's tough to remember what was real, what was fake, you right. know, what was from that bot stove account. On Twitter, I don't know if you follow that, but that's uh, both interesting and extremely misleading at the same time. Um, but as far as uh, as far as Davis goes, I think that's you know this is seeming like 
good news for the Tigers because, you know, the rumor has it that the Tigers were, or at least Mike Illich was interested in signing Chris Davis uh, to a long-term deal. So thank you, Peter Angelos, for taking that <laughs> taking that away from us. Dear God, no, not him. No. I mean, I, we had joked about it on the site. You know, I wrote a yeah. post that, you know, I thought it would be fun, you know, that we could call it the Dinger Factory and just see how many home runs a Tiger was, would hit. But they would have been so bad defensively yes. that... Yeah. And how many know. home runs did he even hit last year? I don't know. He was like 30, 40, something like that. Okay. So he was, th- I mean, he did not repeat the, the, the 50 plus thing that happened in 20, was it 2014, I think? No, it was, it was 2013, 2013 that he hit all those homers because remember, he, uh, he was the reason that Miggy didn't yes. win back to back triple crowns. The only asked. reason. And then it comes out the year after that that he got busted for he hit Adderall. 40, he hit 47 home runs last year. He did. Wow. And I retract everything that I was about to say that would have been. And even 26 in 2014. So, hmm. you know, you hit 196, but he hit 26 home runs. <laughs> That's right. He had a horrible batting average that year. Yeah. In the yeah. last in the last four seasons, he has 159 home runs. That's a lot of home runs. That's not bad. Yeah. Like you said, it would have been fun to watch, at least from the home run perspective. I don't know if I would have wanted to see him put up a. 220 batting average or whatever. Uh, but when I look at that contract, he signs for seven years and $161 million. I'm thinking, man, you thought the Victor Martinez signing was bad. How, how, how do you make that a value add? I mean, he's a little bit younger than Martinez. He's only 12. You know, he's going to be 30 by the time opening day hits. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's actually probably going to come off his contract at slightly younger age. Then Martinez as well. Uh, but the part that I find funny is the all the deferred money. You know, he's being deferred $42 million, and it's over a number of years. Uh, you know, we're not necessarily talking Bobby Bonilla-type money right now, but, you know, it's a lot more than, like, the four or five years or whatever that Zach Greinke's uh, money is deferred over. I mean, they're taking, they're, I think they're taking, like, you know, 10, 12 years to pay this off or something like that. Well, like you said, I mean, just thank God the Tigers weren't the ones to, to bite that bullet. And it's just, it's still funny to me. There's there's so little, you know, that's entertaining right now in baseball news. So to see after all this, you know, Chris Davis ends up going back to the Orioles. Uh, all right, maybe I'm the only one that sees the humor in that, but I enjoyed it greatly. Uh, the other big piece of news that uh, the Kansas City Royals picked up Ian Kennedy, who we had kind of tossed that name around a little bit as, you know, do the Tigers go for that, uh, you know, the fly ball pitching or that that sort of thing you were advocating way, way back in September? It was, uh, no, the Royals got him. Ian Kennedy, five years, $70 million. How do you How do you like them apples? Let me say that I did not advocate for one second paying Ian Kennedy $70 million. <laughs> no, like, what not. in the world were the Royals thinking with that? I think that my uh, what, what was my headline that the Ian, the Royals signed Ian Kennedy for a lot of f***ing money? Yeah. Um, yeah, why, why in the world they did that? I'm not really sure. They gave up their first round pick in in 2016 for that as well. So they're paying him over five years. Um, you know, this may work out for like a year or two, but I really kind of view this very similarly to the Jason Vargas deal, Justin, Jason Vargas, um, that they signed just a couple years earlier. You know, he came out and he had a decent season in 2014, but then 2015 comes around and I think he got hurt or he definitely wasn't pitching in the rotation at the end of the season. And, you know, for a guy who's making more money than any other pitcher on your pitching staff, that's not exactly the the most ringing endorsement. So, you know, Ian Kennedy's definitely better than Vargas. He's had better career numbers, but, you know, for a team that 
you know, is having you know some payroll issues at the start. You know, they have to eventually come to terms with Lorenzo Cain, Mike Moustakis, and Eric Hosmer in the next couple seasons. You know, paying Kennedy fourteen million dollars, I don't necessarily is worth you know all the innings, you know, mediocre innings at that that you're going to squeeze out of them. You know, and now I'm thinking because somewhere in that holiday alcoholic haze, you know, that went on for weeks and weeks, and you talked about how there was. Not a lot of news, and it's kind of hard to keep track of what was real, what wasn't. Didn't the Royals also make another big signing? I want to, like, it's, I'm blanking, but I feel like they did. Well, they signed Alex Gordon. Yeah, I knew they did that. Did I, we? Did, was that before or after we recorded the podcast? After. It was definitely after. Um, okay. But I, I thought they picked up another pitcher, but I could be. Not that I know of. Could be high on something, man. I don't know. Gordon was the other big one because yeah. you know, I know that our friends at Royals Review were saying, you know, that the, they kind of expected the the Royals to spend, you know, however much those two combined are making, um, you know, in the off season. They just didn't necessarily expect it to be allocated in the way that it was with Gordon receiving, you know, a relatively cheap contract given his skill set and age, uh, and then Ian Kennedy getting all the goddamn money that he got <laughs> right and so now they're they're starting rotation well let's just talk about what, the, what their big offseason moves because the three that stand out to me obviously this ian kennedy deal the re-signing of, of alex gordon and then of course they picked up joaquin soria to kind of help round out the the bullpen and the loss of greg holland um obviously kansas city is the team to beat Right. I mean, I think out of all the teams in the central, no one really gives me the shakes and shivers except for the world champion defending, you know, whatever. And I'm just not sure that they're having a better off season. I don't think that their roster is necessarily shaping up to be, you know, any scarier than what the Tigers are doing. You go back to your theory about, uh, you know, trying to accumulate fly ball pitchers and the fact that if you have a good rangy outfield, um, that can work. You can you can turn those fly balls into outs and defensive runs saved and so on and so forth. I'm wondering though now, and they certainly seem to be sticking with that strategy now. Ian Kennedy and plus they didn't they add they resigned Chris Young if I'm not uh, mistaken. They did correct. So they are they're sticking with the plan. Don't you think at some point all these fly ball pitchers you know they can't continue to get that lucky right? At some point these fly balls start going for more home runs. Yeah, and especially with Kennedy that. That may be the case. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy that struggled with home run issues, even in San Diego. Um, you know, he gave up. Uh, he had one good season as far as his home rate run weight, run, home run rate went. Uh, but in both 2013 and 2015, he was definitely above league average. Um, you know, and your teams are hoping, or the Royals that are hoping that, you know, Kansas City being a little bit more humid uh, than San Diego potentially may may be the reason for that. Uh, to you know, hopefully that he improves. But at the same time, he's also you know been above 22, 23 percent with his line drive rate in the last few years, and has been you know really kind of hit around quite a bit. Uh, so we'll see what happens. And you know, I I may have liked that deal for them, you know, for you know a shorter length of time, a few less dollars, but five years, man. That's, I, that's hey, rough. you know what? I I will gladly watching and Kennedy pitch for the Royals for the next five years. Oh, absolutely. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is, you know, you get, at some point the horseshoe has to fall out of your butt, you know, and you, this mediocre pitching staff starting rotation that they worked with, uh, you know, they, they got away with it last year by turning it over to that just absolutely crazy good bullpen. But now Greg Holland is gone and Joaquin Soria is re his replacement. I'm not sure. I'm not sold on him this year. I'm not sold that they got the, the magic. Not necessarily. 
And you also, you know, you also have to look at the Ryan Madsen has gone out of that bullpen. Right. Um, they also lost. I think it was Joe Blanton who had a surprisingly good year in part time for them. Uh, they lost a couple of their big time prospects and Brandon Finnegan and another guy whose name I'm blinking on right now when they made those trades at the deadline um, you know obviously that worked out for them you know flags fry forever and all that right. uh, but at the same time going into into 2016 they're definitely in a little bit of a weaker position uh, and I don't necessarily know that they addressed all of their depth concerns with with some of the moves that they made so they're definitely going to be leaning on you know guys like gordon and, and kennedy and you know their other stars on the roster to you know be able to produce and make up for some of that some of the losses that they've had well i certainly think that after all these moves and and the the settling of the rosters at this point i think the tigers are the central favorites at this point i don't think i would give that it would have been a kind of maybe a 50 50 fight out you know dog fight for me uh prior to the upton signing just because again the tigers were going to struggle to score runs and you were really relying on the pitching staff being great and the bullpen being lights out um i don't think that's the case anymore i think they've got the slight edge in in good pitching and now above the top above the average uh offense i still think it really depends on you know how the tigers rotation performs how healthy do they stay you know how good is justin berlander how good is anibal sanchez you know if those guys are you know anything like their 2012 2013 selves then the tigers are you know they may run away with this division hmm. um but you know if they're looking like 2014 2015 where you know one or both of them are banged up then then you're running into into some issues there over the last couple of years the tigers have had to use a lot of different pitchers a lot of different starting pitchers and really kind of scrape the bottom of the barrel uh to get some starts and some quality innings out of guys um you know you hope that the tigers will you know that that their improved depth in the rotation will pay off this year. But at the same time, you hope that they don't necessarily have to use that depth. And because I've been kind of teasing this whole thing in terms of, you know, Vegas odds and what the sports books are saying, and that, yeah, the Tigers are still 25 to one to win the world series, but I, I think that's going to shift uh, because we love to make baseless predictions that end up never, ever being true. I'm going to ask you this on the spot. If you had to pick and lay money on the world series matchup this year, who would your, who would your two teams be? Cubs and Royals. Cubs and Royals. So you think the yes. Royals are going back to the World Series in 2016? Yeah, well, like you said, none of this stuff ever comes true. So. No, it doesn't. I mean, <laughs> I'm surprised to hear you just diss the Royals and then say, yeah, they're going to go to the World Series. Well, there's a little bit of reverse psychology there. Okay. I'll, I'll buy it. I'm going to say Tigers-Giants. I definitely don't know if the Tigers are there yet. Um, you know, looking... I guess I'm trying to rack my brain for another American League team that I would be comfortable with. Maybe the Blue Jays, but they don't necessarily have the pitching. You know, I still really like that offense, but there are so many holes elsewhere in, you know, in every team in the American League. And I think that you could make a case for just about any team in the league, the Tigers included. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that, you know, if I had to pick one, I, I would still say the Royals at this point, just because, you know, they're the defending champs. They have a lot of their core coming back. They still have holes, but at the same time, they've they've done well to plug them uh, at the trade deadline before, um, and you know, they they still have a pretty good team there. So, so you were not terribly impressed by all the flashy moves Dave Dombrowski made to get the Red Sox to the point where they've got Craig Kimbrell in the bullpen and David Price in the starting rotation. They still have a lot of issues to work out there. You know, it may work out, but that's a team that's finished in last place three out of the last four seasons. It's true. It's very true. We see you, Dave. We know what you're doing, and we're not buying it. So there you go. 
One last question uh, before we wrap up this segment. Ioannis Cespedes is still kind of out there floating around in, in free agent limbo. And uh, it's funny because we talked a few weeks, months back about who would be that, that guy, who would be the big top tier free agent who still hadn't signed by mid to end of January. I'm not sure I necessarily thought it was going to be Ioannis Cespedes, but there it is. And um, who's going to sign Cespedes? I mean, someone's got to, right? I guess. I mean, he's been linked to you know several other teams today. Uh, I know Peter Gammon said something about the Astros potentially pursuing him. Um, out loud. Someone, someone mentioned something about the Marlins maybe looking at him, and then I think uh, someone shot that down at some point today. Um, you know, the White Sox have kind of been, you know, maybe in on him. Uh, I think I saw that the Nationals had even been linked to him today. So, you know, there are any number of teams that could do it. And, you know, it may just be kind of, you know, throw a dart at the wall. And that's the team that ends up signing him. So so we'll see what happens. But it definitely seems like he's not going to get the kind of money that he had originally been asking for. I think teams are a little bit hip to the idea that, you know, 2015 was maybe just a product of his contract season. Uh, you know, they're seeing the the you know, ugly trends in the walk rate and other things like that and, you know, how old he is. And, you know, they might not necessarily be so apt to give him $150 million or or whatever he's looking for. Well, I mean, teams are certainly getting smarter, uh, I think, as we're seeing more and more major league teams pick up uh, building out their analytics departments and paying attention to those kinds of things in the longer term big picture the trends and that sort of thing you know so you're right i don't necessarily know that anyone's falling for the uh the narrative of 2015 you know that wow look what cespedes did he went to the mets and lo and behold carried them all the way you know um yeah so i i I am still surprised though that it's taken this long for somebody to pick up cespedes although thinking twice about it you're right it's it probably has a lot to do just with his contract demands i think if he'd come down a little bit he would have been picked up you know, quite a long time ago. All right, so you mentioned the Astros in play, the White Sox maybe in play, the Mets in play. Uh, of those teams that we've talked about, the Nationals, the Mets, the White Sox, the Astros, who who do you not want to see him go to? The White Sox, obviously. Uh, you know, being in the division, I don't necessarily want to see him there. He can sign in the Astro League. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> Back to the Mets but, he goes. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm okay with that. You know, if the White Sox don't do anything else this offseason, I'm perfectly happy with with how their winner went. I, I think I'm, I'm more okay with him going to the, to the White Sox than I am uh, like to the Astros. Cause I mean, they've already got kind of a stacked home run heavy, you know, power hitting lineup as it is. If you want to add Cespedes to that mix, but they, that could be a, a murderer's row. And I don't, I don't, I'm more afraid of that. I think than I am the White Sox. I think if he goes to the White Sox, there's still far too many holes on their roster for that to be a huge difference maker. Yeah. But we only play the Astros seven times. You know, that's, you know, only a few chances for him to hurt us, yeah. whereas playing the White Sox 19 times, he could cause a little bit more damage. But when seven of those Astros games are in the American League Championship Series, it matters. True, but got to get there first. Yeah, okay. I, I clearly am, am more optimistic about the Tigers' futures prospect, uh, prospect. What is the word I want there? It's, it's the gambling word, uh, baseball futures that I'm going for. But yes, uh, I, I like their chances as a postseason contender this year. And uh, I'm not going to give that up until at least end of April. So, all right. We wrap up the high and tight. Uh, no, we're not into the high and tight. We're wrapping up the warming in the pen segment so that we can go into the high and tight segment. Because 
after all this talk about the other teams, it's time for a roster pulse check. And we will do that with the Tigers when we get back from the break. 3-2, swinging a fly ball, center field. This one's deep, going back, Borges at the warning track, looking up, and it's gone! A home run! Amazing. How about it? First chance to hit 400, and Miguel Cabrera delivers in his first at-bat of the day. All right, it is time for our high and tight segment. After all this talk, Rob, we've kind of uh, revisited what's going on elsewhere in Major League Baseball with the offseason. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the Tigers specifically. We, we addressed the, the Justin Upton thing you know, in detail. Um, but where, where do the Tigers kind of fit into the AL Central picture? I've already kind of tipped my hand and said I think they're favorites at this point. Um, they get Justin Upton you know, into the lineup that adds power, that adds run production. Uh, but what I'm seeing like on Twitter and maybe in some of the comments elsewhere on the Internet is this kind of major complaint that, yeah, great, the Tigers got another right-handed batter. So, you know, what are we talking uh, out of nine positions in the lineup? You know, 12 of the nine are, are right-handers. Uh, is that going to be a problem? I definitely don't think it's going to be a problem. Um, you know, the people have been very quick to point out that eight of the nine lineup spots are primarily right-handed, but they're also, I think, looking at it the wrong way and that, you know, they're penciling in Cameron Mabin and James McCann as full-time starters, whereas Anthony Ghost and Jared Saltalamacchia are going to get plenty of playing time against right-handed pitchers. Uh, you also have Andrew Romine on the bench who may see some time against, against righties as well, uh, filling in for, you know, whoever throughout the infield. Um, so there's a little bit more left-handed, you know, there are a few more left-handed bats there to be had, uh, and it won't be, you know, so strictly right-handed. And then the guys that are playing full-time are, you know, equally good or, you know, nearly as good against right-handers as they are against left-handers. Uh, you know, if you have a, a right-handed lineup that consists of Miguel Cabrera, J.D. Martinez, Justin Upton, and Ian Kinsler, that's still pretty good. Uh, you know, the only real, I guess, question mark in that in that group would be Nick Castellanos. Uh, and, you know, we were facing that even before the Tigers signed Justin Upton. That still would have been kind of a question mark there had the Tigers signed a left-handed hitting outfielder. Uh, so it's not necessarily something that I would be too concerned about. Uh, you know, I, I took a look back at the numbers uh, earlier today. Uh, and I found that, you know, the Tigers prior to the All-Star break last year, were one of the top offenses in the league. You know, they were just behind the Blue Jays for, you know, second or third in the league in runs scored. And that was still with a primarily right-handed hitting lineup. You know, then you look at what happened in the second half. They lost Jonas Cespedes. They lost Miguel Cabrera. And they had Victor Martinez hitting from the left side like absolute crap all season long. So, you know, if he can bounce back and become close to what he has been throughout his career, uh, that's going to be a huge addition just right there. Yeah, I am I, not one to buy into the idea again of, you know, you need lefties in balance with the righties. I'm kind of, you know, the Earl Weaver approach of saying, I don't really care what side of the plate he bats from. If he hits well, then that, that's great. You can say, oh, the problem with the all right-handed lineup. And like you said, well, I'm cool with that. If it's Mikhail Cabrera, Ian Kinsler, Justin Upton, J.D. Martinez, I don't really care what side of the plate those guys hit from. They hit well, and they're going to hit, and they hit all pitching well. It doesn't matter whether the pitchers are left-handed or right-handed. So it's, I don't think it's as big of a deal. I, I would echo what I saw uh, Matt Comley posted on Twitter, you know, when I think it was uh, Matthew Mowry had posted, 
you know, Tiger's lineup for 2016, he was joking around. And so the lineup was right-hander, 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 left-hander, right-hander, right-hander. And Matt responded and said, dingers, 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 dingers from the other side of the plate, dingers, dingers, dingers. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the outlook right there. It's a, it's a frightening lineup to get through no matter which side of the dish they're on. So the lineup is good. The lineup is even maybe a little bit scary for the opposing uh, pitchers. What about the starting rotation? And we've kind of picked this apart, you know, uniquely and, and singly in certain shows when Zimmerman was signed, when Palfrey was signed. On the whole, um, um, let's put it this way. On a scale of 1 to 10, what's your confidence level in the starting rotation? I'd still put it fairly high. Um, you know, I've been uh, I've been kind of a Verlander apologist all along as far as, you know, how much his – Injuries had limited him throughout the 2014 and 2015 seasons. Um, and then you saw, you know, late in 2015, he looked like his old self again. Um, so I'm very confident as far as that goes. Uh, so I guess overall, I'd probably put it at like a, I'd go a 7 out of 10. Um, I, you know, just plain forgot that Jordan Zimmerman was on the team. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking back, you know, a couple days ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, we signed that Zimmerman guy. That's going to be fun. You know, that's okay um, because just a minute ago when you were going through the, the, the lineup, I completely forgot Saltalamakia was on the team. So it's it's uh, it's going around, Rob. See, but your guy's getting paid the league minimum and mine's, you know, received a <laughs> $110 million it's contract. Jared freaking Saltalamakia. How do you forget a name like that? I was True. so excited that they had... Yeah, anyway. Mm -hmm. So, but, um, you know, and I think that Zimmerman will be okay. You know, Sanchez is really kind of the one that I'm questioning. Um, you know, wh what's he going to provide for this team? Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to, you know, do what he did in 2013? Um, you know, this is a guy that when he was down in Florida, he wasn't necessarily putting up, you know, ace-level numbers like he did for the Tigers for a couple years. So, Will he continue to do that? You know, how much was Jeff Jones a part of that as a pitching coach? We don't know. What kind of impact will Rich Doobie have on, you know, this pitching staff? That's tough to say there. Um, Daniel Norris I'm very excited about. And I hope he keeps the amazing beard that he has right now because that thing is just absolutely epic. Yeah, it is. It, it, and, I'm ashamed of what I did on my face compared to what he's done. And then Mike Palfrey is just kind of there, I guess. You know, if he... If he provides solid innings, you know, maybe he'll have, you know, a good, you know, first half or something like that. All right. I'm going to, so. I mean, I'm going to tag Pelfrey as my breakout player of the year, you know, because we always ask that question of the the BYOB staff and kind of, you know, who's going to be the Tigers MVP and the Cy Young and who's going to be the breakout candidate. And I think it's Pelfrey. I, we talked all about this, the one show right after he was signed. And I think he's got a great ground ball rate. I think he's going to benefit highly from the Tigers defense. I think he is going to be a massively pleasant surprise. Like you, though, Sanchez is probably my biggest concern. You, you ask the question, is he going to stay healthy? And I, and I say, I don't think he's been healthy since his high school year. It seems like every single year there's something, whether it's a strain here or, a, you know, pinched something there and it's, you know, a sore rotator cuff and he's just never really stayed healthy through a whole season. He was the one that had the, the blister, right? I mean, he, he went and lost two, three weeks of pitching time because of a stupid blister on the finger. It's like the guy will find a way to... Uh, uh, get himself on the disabled list. And when he's right, he can be really, really right. I'm going to look at 2016 and say, just count on it. You're you're going to go through at least a month without Sanchez. And the, you know, time leading into that inevitable injury is going to be fraught with, you know, craziness. And you're going to see some bad pitching and uh, who knows. However, however, 
We've said this before. Most pitching staffs, you know, are going to lose two or three guys to serious injury throughout the year. What the Tigers have lacked and what they have now is depth. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm really excited to see that they've at least helped bolster some of that uh, a little bit. You know, you have Matt Boyd, who has shown, you know, flashed as a potential. Uh, he may be one that, you know, kind of lives well in some of the AL Central ballparks that tend to swallow up home runs. Um, you also have Michael Fulmer, who's kind of banging on the door of the major leagues. And Shane Green, who everyone seems to keep forgetting about because of... Uh, you know, because uh, of his injury and all that, uh, you know, and maybe Green breaks out and, you know, pushes someone into the bullpen or something like that. So, you know, that's three guys there that the Tigers definitely didn't have last year. I mean, you know, who was their sixth starter heading into last year? Buck Farmer? Yes. Kyle Lobstein? Kyle Lobstein. And this Buck year Farmer. they let Kyle Lobstein just go away because they didn't really need him anymore. Oh, that's right. Um, He's gone, isn't he? Yeah, they, well, I don't know necessarily know. Did someone else claim him? I think so. I think he went to waivers and got claimed. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. The point is, he's not with the Tigers. Hmm. But but anyway, the fact that they have three guys better than him before he would even seen would have even even seen any innings in 2016 is you know just a big plus for the organization. No, it absolutely is. When you look at the names that they had to run out there in 2015, when everything went to hell, and Justin Verlander started in started the season injured, and then you know Sanchez was pitching goofy and. Green had the pinched, uh, you know, ulnar nerve and all that going on. Yeah, your options to run out there were Kyle Lobstein, Buck Farmer, Kyle Ryan. Uh, we saw, I'm going to blank on some of the names because we saw some other guys come up from the Toledo club. And of course, by the end of the year, you have, you know, Randy Wolf uh, to, just to kind of fill it out and make sure you have five starters in the rotation. No, it, it's so much better this year. So I feel a lot better about the possibility the probability, the inevitability that Sanchez is going to spend some time on the disabled list and probably one or two others you might see some significant time on the disabled list. But they have the depth now. And yeah, I, until you said his name, I had also forgotten about Shane Green. I still can't believe that he's not going to be in the starting rotation. That is so bizarre to me. He's a major league ready pitcher. He's had two seasons in the majors and what they're going to they're going to stick him in Toledo. They're going to put him in the bullpen. What are they going to do? We have no idea, but that's going to be a very fun thing to follow during oh, yeah. spring training and seeing exactly what happens with that. You know, maybe Daniel Norris isn't guaranteed the spot in the rotation. He definitely seems like the front runner based on, you know, his just overall pedigree and what he did last season. But maybe Shane Green comes out and just blows away everyone in spring training. and Maybe he wins the job and Daniel Norris spends some time in Toledo. We have no idea. Yeah, it's it's a surplus of pitching. And that's something that I don't think we've had in a very, very long time fun problem to have a fun uh, resolution to track throughout the next uh, couple of months and so we've talked about the lineup and the starting rotation of course that brings us to the bullpen and I was just thinking the other day about this and how fun that was to watch take shape in the offseason and that you know you started with this just absolute dumpster fire this just awfulness and how bit by bit Avila seemed to have just kind of carve off the bad stuff you know you're seeing this guy getting let go and this guy's you know so that what you were left with was kind of a core that he could then add to. And with the pieces that he added to it just looked so good, you know, in, in contrast to what we had seen. Um, we should probably run through some of the names because as we've just established, we don't remember all the uh, the players in play at this point. But they, they signed uh, K-Rod or traded for, I should say, right? They, they traded uh, Betancourt, I think, for 
K Rod. That might have that wrong, but anyway, we we don't even know anymore. I don't. Uh, yeah, who was Betancourt? Was he with the Tigers at one point? Yes, I think he was. Uh, so the K Rod's there. Uh, Mark Lowe they picked up, and then Justin Wilson are the big three acquisitions. You add to that, then uh, Alex Wilson still on the club. Uh, in fact, he's going to be here in West Michigan on Thursday when I go to that uh, Whitecaps Winter Banquet. Uh, Blaine Hardy still in the in the in the picture, and then. Uh, Bruce Rondon is another uh, question mark, I think, especially now that we're talking about this virus that he picked up and how that might impact his, you know, his uh, beginning of the season, at least. Um, who am I forgetting? Uh, Justin Wilson, Mark Lowe. Right, they have Blaine Hardy. Three. You know, they have, you know, a number of other guys that they they can plug in as well. You know, any sort of, you know, they may look at some of the starters, Shane Green and Michael Fulmer right. are names that we heard way back when. Uh, that they could they could plug into there as well. So they have a number of arms that they could they could put in. You even have you know dark horses like Angel Nesbit. Uh, you know some of the other guys. I believe they're bringing uh, Joe Jimenez to spring training. Although he I think he's a very very long shot to make the the roster if at all. Uh, but he he's going to be coming uh, down to Lakeland as well. So there are plenty of guys in the mix. Yeah, leave leave Joe Jimenez out of it. You don't want to see him leap from single A to to the major leagues. I think he needs some time to mature and, and work on some of his stuff. Uh, so yeah, you look at that bullpen the way it's set up. The question is, do they do they need another arm in the pen? And I am seeing that sentiment. It's not you know majority view, but I am seeing it expressed. You know, like no, they still need to do one more arm in the pen. I I don't uh, necessarily agree with that. I definitely don't feel the same way about the bullpen and like needing another arm per se as I did about the outfield. You know, it'd be nice to see them grab another arm. You know, maybe someone slips through the cracks. I know that uh, you know a couple people had been mentioning Tyler Clippard um, as a guy. You know, he had kind of uh, fallen off towards the end of last season. And it's getting pretty late in the game now that he may, you know, get a decent contract. You're seeing guys like Joe Blanton. I think signed like a one-year, four million dollar deal today or something like that. So. You know, if they get someone on that type of deal, that may that may be worth worth a shot there. You know, they'd have to clear room on the forty man roster, uh, and we'll see even what they do for Justin Upton as far as the forty man roster goes. Um, so it it wouldn't be bad seeing them find another find another arm for the bullpen, but I don't necessarily call it a need at this point. Yep, fully agreed on that. And uh, overall, when you look at all those major components, the you know the lineup, the starting rotation, the bullpen, I think it's uh, it's looking really really good uh, for the Tigers in 2016. Uh, I am still going to say American League Central favorites at this point. So that should do it for our high and tight segment. When we get back, we will take some listener questions in our Into the Mob Scene at Home segment. We got question marks, question marks, and more when we get back. Swing the fly ball, left field, deep, going back, Cabrera, looking up, and it's gone, a home run! James McCann with the walk-off winner! Number three, rounding third, exchanges the low ten with Dave Clark, and into the mob scene at home! And into the mob scene we go the portion of the show where we take questions from our listeners. As always, you can contact us uh, on Twitter at HookslideBYB and at BYBRob. You can leave your questions at the website, BlushyBoys.com. You can even send us an email at BYBTigers at gmail.com. Let's get right to it, Rob. Jacob Elkram asks, with Miggy at first for the long haul and Nick Castellanos on the verge of a breakout, 
What future does Dominic Ficicello have in the Tigers organization? He's too good to ignore, but not good enough to be a shoe in I don't necessarily know that I would say he's too good to ignore. Uh, you know, this is a first baseman that isn't necessarily hitting for, you know, first baseman like numbers. Uh, you know, he's got a, you know, a good, a good batting average and a decent on base percentage in his uh, minor league numbers. And, you know, had a, had a pretty decent promotion from Lakeland to Erie this year. He progressed, seemed like he progressed pretty well as far as the numbers look. Um, but at the same time, you know, he really kind of struggled in a brief stint in the Arizona Fall League where he was facing some better competition. Um, and like I said, isn't your real prototypical first baseman. They've been trying him out, I believe, at, you know, third base, left field, you know, some other places to see where he can kind of stick. But, you know, right now he's not necessarily wowing anyone with the with his offensive numbers. We'll see what happens in 2016. You know, maybe he ends up at Erie to start with and then may move up to Toledo if things go well. Um, and I don't necessarily think that the Tigers are viewing him as trade bait. I don't know if that the that's really the organizational philosophy again at this point, but I don't necessarily know if you need to start moving mountains for a guy like him who you know, really hasn't shown you know these kind of can't-miss tools in the minor leagues. Yeah, I, I guess I don't have a whole lot to add to that uh, other than that I do think he's trade bait. I, I think uh, Ficacello fits the the same kind of profile that uh, Javier Betancourt does. You know, he was good, but not like, you know, you know, it's the, you know, blow your socks off kind of like he's going to skyrocket to the major leagues. Good. Uh, but he is probably good enough to perhaps uh, become trade bait. And I do think that the Tigers will find themselves in a position come July at the trade deadline when they'll be in a competitive spot and they're going to be buying, not selling. And you may see a guy like Ficacello. There's, there's other names in the organization that kind of fit that same profile. I think, um, I won't name any names because that would be rude. But <laughs> so I, I, I suspect he's he's more on the trade bait side of things than, uh, you know, than uh, someone who's necessarily going to get to the major league level for Detroit. Like you said, he just doesn't have the, the first baseman like profile. <laughs> Here we go. I can't remember if it's Jaja Bojangles or not. It's Jaja Bojangles with another question. Does it make sense to move Michael Fulmer to the bullpen for a year, Chris Sale style? To a point, I think it makes sense. Uh, you know, the Tigers have really kind of struggled with their bullpen at times. Uh, and Fulmer is a guy that struggled with the injuries throughout his career. So if you're using the bullpen as a way for him to kind of limit his innings, it definitely makes sense. Um, you know, maybe they have him spend the first half of the year pitching, you know, as a starter in Toledo in the minor leagues. Uh, and then they move him to the bullpen and bring him up to the majors, both to, you know, kind of give him a, a taste of the big legal life as well as help boost the bullpen down the stretch in a way that, you know, they're not necessarily counting innings like guys like Jose Fernandez or Matt Harvey had to do in 2015. Um, so it definitely makes sense as far as whether he's developed enough to kind of make that transition and then be able to, you know, seamlessly transition back a la Drew Smiley. That's tough to say. You know, everything I've read says he's, you know, looking pretty good, but some of these pitches could still use work. He wasn't necessarily as polished, I think, as Smiley was early on. You know, but we'll see. You know, maybe another half season of pitching in the minor leagues helps him develop that breaking ball. You know, he put up some outstanding numbers in the Eastern League last year in what is a fairly hitter-friendly league uh, as far as AA goes. It's more neutral overall, but definitely the most hitter-friendly of any of the Tigers affiliates uh, that they have. So we'll see what happens once he moves up, moves up another level in 2016. 
Yeah, Michael Fulmer is being groomed, you know, obviously as a, a potential future starter, uh, and he's going to slot into that starting rotation, you know, within the next couple of years, I would imagine. Um, my thoughts on, on taking someone like that and then moving them to the bullpen, I'm just not sure if that's always the greatest thing to do. I'm not sure if that's healthy. Um, you know, I would m- much rather see him, I, I guess, stay at the minor league level in Toledo and stay stretched out and get regular starters innings and be able to work with his full uh, arsenal um, rather than move to the bullpen and maybe cut back to two good pitches and pitching for, you know, God knows what Brad Osmus would do with him in the bullpen anyway. So let's let's leave Fulmer to uh, percolate a little bit there in the minors and then bring him up when he's when he's ready for a starting spot. That's just my opinion. Brights asks, with the current roster, what would be your batting order? Um, you know, this is kind of an interesting topic today in that a lot of people were debating, you know, do you put Justin Upton in the two-hole? Do you keep Jose Iglesias at the top of the order? I think what we would do and what Brad Osmus is going to do are two very different things. Um, but as the roster is currently constructed right now, I would probably put Upton in that number two spot. Uh, you know, he draws, you know, a fair number of walks. Teams aren't necessarily going to be able to pitch around him. Um, or at least get him out on pitches outside the strike zone, a la someone like you on a Cespedes. Um, but at the same time, you know, he offers a little bit of some of that power in the numbers two spot that, you know, old school managers like Jim Leland uh, really like to covet. So I think that he would be the best fit right now. But I think that what may be best for the team in the long term is if Nick Castellanos ends up not necessarily being given that number two spot, but if he ends up, you know, kind of building on his breakout in 2015 and really kind of earning that spot, he may be a guy that you could kind of slot in there as the, as the season goes on. He's not necessarily going to hit for as much power as Upton. So he's not as, you know, best served in the kind of number five, number six hole. Um, But he showed, you know, a big improvement in his plate discipline. Uh, You know, he's still got fairly significant righty-lefty splits. So, you know, again, he really has to definitely take a step forward before I think that he needs, you know, before I think you move him up. Uh, But he may be a guy that you can kind of fit into that that mold if he, you know, builds on what he did in 2015. I would like to see uh, Jose Iglesias at least start in the leadoff spot uh, just because he put up some incredibly good on-base percentage numbers uh, last year. Um, Not strictly, you know, batting average. And that's always going to be kind of an ongoing question with him, I think, is, you know, is it a fluke? Is it not? Can he hit? Can he not? Um, But he did get on base a lot. And and I would like to see him at least get a shot at the leadoff spot. Uh, You know, outside of that, I, I don't know what... With a power-heavy lineup like this, I almost feel like you should kind of stagger it a little bit so that you don't have, you know, three, four, five, six, or all the big boomsticks. You know, why not throw in some guys in between there that do get on base a little bit more um, so that when by the time you get to the seven, eight, nine slots, you know, you're not killing off rallies at the end. So I, I guess my uh, preference maybe would be to see, yeah, something like Iglesias and then Upton. And then, you know, bring out Cabrera and Martinez, but then throw in someone like Ian Kinsler, you know, ahead of a J.D. Martinez and, and kind of work your way down the list that way. But that's it's it's just a, like you said, what we come up with and what Brad Osmus is going to come up with are going to be very, very different things. And thankfully, it's a it's a good enough lineup, I think, that it necessarily isn't going to change a whole lot, you know, depending on how you shift it. So, yeah, I mean, there's going to be, you know, a very very ugly stretch for pitchers in that point that's going to consist in some form of Cabrera, Upton, Martinez, and Martinez. And if Victor Martinez is back to his usual self, that's going to be very, very tough to navigate. Good luck, opposing pitchers. 
Donnie Kelly Baby says, how are Tigers fans going to feel in 2018 when the best free agent class ever happens and we're forced to watch teams like the Phillies partake in the super crazy bidding of potential targets like Josh Donaldson, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, etc. And I feel like there's a subtext here um, that kind of says the Tigers are going to be too tied up with the contracts to be able to get involved in that bidding. Well, I'm hoping we're too drunk from winning three straight World Series to really care about what happens in in 2018 offseason. So that's what I'm thinking. But, you know, I'm not necessarily worried about it at this point. You know, like we said, you know, we were saying, you know, earlier that two years in baseball is a long time. Three years in baseball is, you know, a freaking eternity. So we'll see what happens. You know, maybe none of these guys even hit the free agent market. Um you know, there are, you know, there's like almost no one on next year's free agent market. And I think a lot of that is because of some of these longer term deals that are signed early on in players careers. You know, I don't necessarily know that Bryce Harper's looking like he's going to, to sign one of those deals at any time, anytime soon. But, you know, maybe someone gets locked up for a number of years and this free agent class loses its luster over the next, you know, 18, 24 months. And as we were saying earlier in the show, there are uh, a number of contracts that are coming off the books in 2017, 18, and 19. So I'm not sure the Tigers are necessarily handcuffed in that way that they wouldn't be able to take part in bidding wars for the targets that they want. And I think Alavila has proven to be very, very shrewd in getting the guys that they need without breaking the bank to do it. Of course, you know, as you said, we're talking years in the distance. There, there might not be a luxury tax by 2018. The Tigers could there, decide, screw it, we're going to have a $400 million payroll. I mean, we may not have an owner that says, screw it, let's have a $400 million payroll at there that point. We, we don't even know. It's, uh, it's a long ways off. So I'm not sure if I answered the question or not, other than to say it's, it's uh, too far out in the future. Results, foggy, check back later, I guess. Mr. Sunshine says, with this Upton move and the White Sox not having a shortstop, do you see them reaching and signing Ian Desmond? You'd think that something like that would have happened already for the White Sox. Uh, I believe they have a protected first-round pick, and they've had the the shortstop problem all offseason long. Uh, It's been, I want to say, at least a month since Alexei Ramirez signed with some other team. I forget which team it was, but it's not with the White Sox. So they're looking very, very thin at shortstop right now. And I believe that they traded away another middle infielder when they went for Todd Frazier. So, you know, it's, it's tough to say what exactly they would do. But I don't necessarily know if now is the time that they're going to go after Desmond when they've already kind of refused to do that already maybe they look cheaper maybe they look for a trader out uh their general manager rick Hahn, has actually been you know pretty good on, on the trade market in his short time at the helm so you know we'll see we'll see what happens with that but you know they, he he's been pretty good at you know taking what he's been given as far as payroll goes and making a decent team out of it uh unfortunately for him he hasn't been given as much so far so we'll see what happens was uh, ian desmond was on your list when we played the free agent prediction game wasn't he Mm-hmm. Did you pick the White Sox? I did not. Okay. It doesn't matter. It does not matter at all. We were just looking at the numbers uh, from that game before this show started, and Rob is at like 72-some-odd million dollars in salary, and I've got like five. So I concede. Rob, you win. And screw you, man. Yes. <laughs> as far as the White Sox and Ian Desmond, I, I don't know other than to say I don't really care it's the White Sox, and I don't see them as being... Uh, 
anything like a contender this year. So whatever they want to do at shortstop is really kind of none of my business. Um, maybe they signed Desmond. Maybe they don't. I didn't realize that Alexi Ramirez had signed elsewhere. Yeah, I saw it at one point and, you know, kind of left it off, said, oh, that's funny, and then forgot about it. Like I said, can't yeah. remember what team it was. So It's one of those blips that you just go, oh, neat. Back to binge-watching Netflix and, you know, exactly. Maker's Mark. So... Final question from Tim Babamute says, the for the Tigers to contend for the World Series, they will probably need a bounce-back year from Victor Martinez or Anibal Sanchez. Which one is more important to the team's success? Well, Tim, do you prefer your left nut or your right nut more? I mean, that's a good way of putting it because the Tigers are definitely going to need both of those guys if they're going to you know, reach the World Series. Uh, as far as which one they need more... I would probably say Anibal Sanchez. Uh, you know, this is the Tigers. You know, like I said, during the first half last year, they still had one of the better offenses in the major in the American League, even with Victor Martinez dragging his left leg behind him the entire way. So, um, you know, and we saw kind of what happens when you have you know an absolutely terrible rotation. Uh, so I'm definitely going to say, uh, you know, Anibal Sanchez is probably the more important one as far as bounce back season goes, especially when you have, you know, question marks towards the back of the rotation. You know, what are they going to get out of the young kids, whether it's Norris or Shane Green or whoever? And what are they going to get out of Mike Pelfrey? Uh, they definitely need Sanchez to be kind of that, you know, front to mid rotation starter that they're projecting him as. Uh, whereas Martinez, you know, they can kind of work around, especially with the added depth that Upton provides in the lineup. Funny thing, because I was kind of almost say the, the other side of that coin is, you know, that, look, if you have a Victor Martinez in the lineup, he's in the lineup almost every day. And there's always that argument that a position player, a, a hitter at least, you know, is going to see a lot more playing time than a pitcher who comes out once every five uh, games. Um, but I was thinking, too, but they've got so much depth on both sides of this thing that if Sanchez, you know, is not having the bounce back year. They have options. There, we talked about Shane Green being a potential who could step in and uh, you know fill that slot. Um, you know, uh, Michael Fulmer. You never know when he's going to be ready to step in. Matt Boyd. You you have options uh, that if Sanchez goes down, I, but still at the same time you look at it and go if for them to contend and, and to take the World Series, having a healthy uh, and and pitching well, you know, version of Anibal Sanchez certainly makes that an easier easier run but to your point rob if victor martinez isn't at at full speed you know you can mask some of that with a guy like upton now i'm not sure that they have as much um depth you know in that area like who would you bring off the bench to kind of fill in for victor martinez as a ongoing dh you know it's uh yeah, yeah, yeah. so maybe it but uh, you know like you were saying there's there's enough power elsewhere in the lineup that maybe you can you can get away with that they did it in the beginning of 2015. He was gimpy, and uh, between Cespedes and uh, JD Martinez, and uh, you know, they they were able to cover for it. So all of that to say, I don't really know. You need them both, and I'm going to leave it at that. Um, left nut is my vote. Okay, so let's wrap this show up. When we come back from the break, we'll get into the seventh inning Kvetch, and we're going to tinker with the Major League Baseball rules when we get back. Three now. Here's the 2-2. Oh, boy. Curveball grabbed the outside corner. Victor not happy. Pitch that he felt went around the plate. You rarely see Victor complain. Brad Osmus better get out there quickly. Oh, ah. And Victor got tossed. 
right, we are ready to wrap up today's show with our seventh inning Kvetch segment. Uh, we're going to kind of have just a freeform discussion here about tinkering with the way MLB is structured, some of the rules, some of the traditions. Uh, what, what prompted this whole thing was the uh, oh, some rumors and news items kind of floating around uh, that the National League may, in fact, be poised to adopt the DH rule. And, uh, wow, we would have some some actual consistency across the, the leagues. Um, tell me a little bit more about what, what prompted that whole thing, Rob. Well, uh, I want to say about a week or, week or so ago, um, the Cardinals GM, John Moseliak, I think is how you say it, um, he was speaking to reporters or whatnot, and I guess I'll just read his quotes here. He says, quote, I do feel like there were times I could look at all of you in the face and say it's a non-starter. It's not being discussed. Uh, it being, you know, the designated hitter in the National League. He said, it's not being discussed at the owner level or GM. Uh, but over the past year, it has. I'm not suggesting you're going to see a change, but I definitely think the momentum has changed. Um, and that really kind of got a lot of people talking. You know, the designated hitter in the National League has really kind of been, you know, a hot topic over the last couple of years. Um, there's a little bit more to Mozeliak's quote here. He says, quote, Teams that don't have a DH aren't really in favor of playing more games with the DH because it's a roster disadvantage. That's just not something from the National League standpoint that makes a whole lot of sense at the moment. I still think, uh, he says, Cardinals chairman would be someone more in favor of the pitcher hitting. That's not to say that we would not be open-minded to it if there was a big swell to push. Um, so, you know, he, I think he's, you know, he's very diplomatic in his quotes there. But it definitely seems like, you know, the momentum is starting to build. Uh, for the National League adopting the DH. We'll see how long it takes for something like that to happen. Uh, but I definitely think, you know, I guess my guess would be in the next 10 years or so we would probably see something like that. But, you know, baseball has been very <laughs> resistant to change, as we know, over the years. So we'll see. But it's very it's very interesting that these quotes are popping up now, uh, you know, just in, in general. Well, I mean, there's, there's good reasons for it, right? I mean, you, there are pros and cons, I guess, to saying yes implement the dh rule even at the national league level make it consistent i mean just thinking of things like you know we talk about the issue of pitcher injury uh you know that you you don't want to put the pitcher at risk um you know uh, not only just from the standpoint of standing at the plate and hitting but once he gets on base you know well and even before he gets on base you know the i think it's interesting the cardinals gm is saying this uh after they lost adam wainwright for Mm -hmm. the entire year you know he tore his achilles tendon when he was trying to run out of the batter's box and try to beat a ground ball out down the line uh you know losing your ace for an entire year because of that seems rather foolish especially when you're paying him you know 20 plus million dollars a year it would be nice to see some consistency, at least from the pitching standpoint, that, uh, you know, it's it's kind of, I guess, it's it's kind of a known fact that when you look at the, the National League and the pitching stats and so on and so forth, um, you have to factor in that these pitchers are, every every ninth batter that they face is another pitcher that can't hit for crap. And in the American League, you know, pitchers have to deal with that, that batting slot that... Uh, being a guy who does nothing but hit that's that's what he does in fact that's probably all he does is is hit and hit and hit because he can't play a position and can't necessarily you know run or whatever but you know your your dhs i think do a lot to um hurt the uh, pitching stat lines so it's you start to try to compare between the two leagues and it's like no uh, it's I don't know. They don't. They don't. They don't add up. Well, I mean, what's the stat? How many major league pitchers have been inducted into the Hall of Fame, or how many American league pitchers have been inducted into the Hall of Fame since the DH was implemented? Has there been one? I, 
Like I, I, I'm, this is, you know, kind of a legitimate thing that I thought about, yeah. um, you know, were they saying that maybe Randy Johnson was one of the first ones and even then he spent half his career in the national league. No, I mean, it's yeah. So, yeah. you know, it definitely does think it definitely does skew stat lines. So, I mean, yeah. So I was saying there's, there's, there's reasons, uh, to go ahead and just enforce that uniformity, um, across the board. But I, I don't know, like, why what's the other side of that coin really you know why do you let the national league keep their non-dh you know uh, other than the fact that it's just tradition you know and they've they've stuck it out this long god when the american league introduced this rule back in the 70s wasn't it like 76 mm-hmm. or 71 i want to say early yeah you're right 71 2 3 somewhere in there it was all right so yeah it's. Uh, I think it'll happen at some point. I would like to see it happen. I'm much more in support of, you know, seeing that that's uh, the way the American League does it. I think is the right way. Something came up. I was just thinking about it um, during the postseason. Uh, I want to say it was at some point. Um, what's his name? Schwarber. That's the name. Kyle Schwarber uh, for the Cubs. It just hits and hits and hits. Right, but he's not that great defensively. And it kind of came up as a discussion point, I think, between some of the the analysts and, you know, talking heads at, you know, the networks that were kind of saying, you know, he would be a great fit in the American League, but he plays for the Cubs, so they have to find a a position to put him in. And, you know, there's probably a a better able, you know, defender that's not going to get that spot because Schwarber just hits and hits and hits. You know, why, why not create the position then? It's called a designated hitter. We already have it in the American League. It's really awesome. Well, yeah, and I think that you kind of that kind of touches on another thing uh, as far as SDH position goes. You know, you said that it creates another position for guys. Uh, as far as the MLB Players Union is concerned, it creates another job for right. guys. You know, you're you're creating 15 more major league positions, 15 more roster spots for for players. And you know, maybe you know a, a random utility infielder or seventh bullpen guy gets the boot uh, as far as actual roster numbers go um but that's a you know teams are going to be paying a lot more money for their designated hitter than they are for you know x middle reliever so that's definitely going to be a plus from the player's standpoint uh you know even if some players do kind of enjoy the tradition or or hitting or whatnot um i know that we have we have some converts on the nl side uh one of the cubs writers for sb nation has said he's really sick of watching john lester flail away at the plate. So, you know, as fun as it may be to watch Bartolo, Bartolo Colon hit right. and the other 99% of pitcher at bats, it's really just kind of ugly. Okay. So that needs to be the rule. Then fine. You can let your pitchers bat, but they need to do it hysterically. And then we'll go ahead and let you not implement the DH rule. Now I remember the, I, I wrote a, a, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that that's really the only enjoyment we get out of it. Um, and then even then, uh, I believe I saw a tweet from, you know, I forget who it was from, but someone said, you know, eventually Bartolo Colon's going to retire. And then at this point, you know, what are you going to do with pitchers hitting? It's just going to go back to being boring and horrible again. So you got to take a long-term view with this. In a strange twist of fate, Bartolo Colon is going to re- retire because he's forced to retire because he hurts something while taking an at-bat. And it will be a great ending to a career, I think. Uh, you know, the the only other enjoyment out of it is when you occasionally get to see someone like, uh, you know, Madison Bumgarner hit a home run off Clayton Kershaw. Or was it reverse? Or Daniel Norris hit or a home Daniel run. Daniel Norris crushed one into dead center field at Wrigley. And then he got hurt, didn't he? Yeah, but I think it was pitched. 
that they keep saying it was pitching, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the conspiracy is, is alive and well. I wrote a, a post for the site several years ago, a very, very tongue-in-cheek goofball post about you know why the designated hitter, a little bit of the history behind it. And I, I concluded that really the biggest argument, the single biggest argument for eliminating the DH entirely is that David Ortiz was nothing but DH. He was pure DH. And as a DH... He did a very, very bad thing to the Tigers somewhere near the end of 2013, which we shall not speak of. And so, therefore, the DH is, is a very, very bad position to have. So, no, not by any I mean, I mean, if the, I think that all teams uh, need to have pitchers hit besides Tigers. How about that? <laughs> That's it. That's it. Especially if Victor Martinez is going to keep hitting like a pitcher. And the Tigers get to collect all the uh, discarded DHs and add them to their roster. That's the other part of the rule. Yeah, that'll, that'll fly. So outside of the DH and that potential thing maybe changing, you know, in years to come, whenever it does or doesn't happen, um, we kind of tossed some ideas around at the website and we put up a group post, uh, which I did not contribute to because I was binge watching stuff. Jeez, people, it's January. Why are you writing about baseball? There's like all kinds of movies to watch. The Oscars are coming up. The, never mind. What other changes would you like to see made to baseball? My my suggestion for the site was very tongue in cheek. Uh, I had said that you, they should move the Marlins to Montreal and fire Jeffrey Jeffrey Loria into the sun. Uh, I would still do that second one, um, and I guess I would like to see a team you know eventually make its way back to Montreal. I think that they definitely got hosed. Mm-hmm. It seems like the city you know if you've watched any of the exhibition games that they've held there over the past few years, that seems like a city that would definitely do well. Uh, you know with a team that's managed properly. Um, you know, a couple of the others, uh, other ideas I like that I saw on the site. Uh, the big one is the all-star game, you know, yes. figuring out a way to make that, you know, still fun and relevant, but not so relevant that it decides World Series home, you know, home advantage. Um, I think that that's just a little bit too far for an exhibition game like that. No, uh, and, you know, the thing is about that, sorry to interrupt there, because the the thing about the the all-star game deciding home field advantage and i was thinking like okay then what, what i can't even remember what it was they used to do and then it dawned on me that's right they just used to alternate just randomly it's like okay the american league gets home field advantage and then the national league and then they just go back and forth why have they never just gone ahead with something simple like whichever the two teams has the best winning percentage I mean, I guess the reason for that was always because the American League and National League were never playing against each other. But you know, you get other, you know, in every other sport, I think it's decide, decided by just overall record. Right. And those, you know, those leagues are playing unbalanced schedules as well. So I don't necessarily think it matters. You know, with the NFL, obviously they only have the one game, so they do it in a neutral site. So mm-hmm. I was. Uh... Sorry, excuse me. A little catch in the throat there. I was surprised by how many of our own staff writers were suggesting things like uh, getting rid of the uh, the divisional lines and going back to you know what the way it used to be when it was just the American League and the National League and then the top two teams played. I mean, there was a lot of suggestions. Maybe not that specifically, but there were a lot of suggestions for reorganizing the divisional structure. I was. We have a lot of people on our staff that are really old. Old, so. I don't necessarily know that they're the they're the best gauge for that. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, I think there's a there's a certain um, you know kind of benefit that comes to maybe doing that. You know, you see things happen like with the NL Central this year, where the Cardinals and I mean where the Cubs and Pirates, you know, really kind of got hosed 
um, you know, for beating up on everyone else except the Cardinals. Um, so, you know, maybe that fixes something like that, but I still think that that's kind of a one-year blip in a system that's otherwise been pretty good over the years. Um, I definitely wouldn't change, you know, the kind of unbalanced schedule that they have now. You know, maybe you make a few tweaks here and there, um, but I think it's just kind of necessary that you need to pay, you need to play against the teams closest to you more often because otherwise you're, you know, just worn down over travel over you know because of travel over the years yeah, especially aside with... from the, the travel argument you know to me as i've said year after year once once it comes down to the, the the home stretch in september you know and divisions are about to be decided i love the fact that to get there you got to beat the teams in your own division i think that's the way it should be i love that when it comes to september the tigers got to play the white Sox, and then they got to play the royals and then they got to play the twins because it just no i don't want to see those things being decided with these teams going out and playing the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, you know, that that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. It makes it exciting, you know, especially if you have a good divisional race. Like, uh, you know, you think back to 2014, that was, you know, a very mm-hmm. good, very good, you know, pennant race there. And that, you know, it was decided by, you know, you think back to that whole deal with Salvador Perez, you know, running away from third yes. base and Hernan Perez pointing it out from the dugout. Yes. Uh, you know, things like that are very exciting. The Tigers have been in some very great division races over the years. Uh, I remember back to, it was like 2012 or 2013 when, was it Andy Dirks with a takeout slide that basically clinched the division that one time? Um, you know, so having those tight pennant races down the stretch uh, is is very exciting. And, you know, having to play all those teams so many times you know, in, you know, late August and September, I think is is good for the sport. So I don't don't necessarily know that division realignment is the type of thing. Um, I guess to switch gears here, what are your thoughts on interleague? More of it, less of it, keep it the same? Get rid of it entirely. I, I loved, I mean, again, you talk about the site is run by old people, and yeah, okay, I'm not old. I'm probably one of the older writers on the site, though. Unfortunately, I did grow up in the 80s, and to me, the excitement of the All-Star game was precisely the fact that you didn't get to see uh, you know, American League versus National League all year long. You had to wait till mid-July to get that little bit of an exhibition, and then you had to wait till the World Series. And I feel like now it's, you know, you play so many National League teams that it's, there's the, the mystique is gone. You know, the mystery is gone. You know how player X performs against this other guy from the National League who he shouldn't have seen all year long. That's what makes it so fun in the World Series. It's like, I have no freaking clue how Miguel Cabrera is going to hit against fill in the blank you know because they've never faced each other that's that's my thoughts get rid of the interleague play well see i would go the same way but for a different reason um you know nowadays you have access to every single game on mlb tv and you can see all these great players you know playing on any night of the week you know i can go back now and watch you know in mike trout's entire season Mm -hmm. if i wanted to um so I don't, you know, you don't necessarily need to see, you know, your favorite team play against the Dodgers or the Cardinals or the Mets or the, the Nationals in any given year. Right. Um, I guess I am kind of a proponent of it uh, because the Tigers will be here in D.C. this year. So I do like that part of it. Uh, and, you know, that part's kind of nice. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's not like it was when, you know, they first brought it out in that, oh, you know, you'll get to see you know, your favorite team play against, you know, these few other new teams, you know, every every year or every other year or whatnot. They don't necessarily need that anymore. And so I think the game has grown to the point now that you don't necessarily need to have that interleague play and going back to kind of what it was would I think kind of appease the appease the old timers without necessarily ruffling any any feathers of you know, newer fans of the game. Yes, the Tigers are going to D.C. I checked this out because they're going to be there in May, and they happen to be doing this the same 
week that they're playing the Baltimore Orioles. Like they're, they're doing like a three game set with the Orioles, Orioles, and then three with the Nationals, or vice versa. So you're gonna have it's a- three and it's in the seven straight games. It's either three with the Nationals, four with the Orioles, or the other way around. We're not gonna see you that week, are we? Maybe not. I I am very games. tempted to go to all seven games. Uh, yeah, I I tempted to make a trip to dc and just to see that happen i wanted to go visit uh some of the monuments anyway but man what a great time to do it and go see two new ballparks that i've never been in so i'm coming to your place rob just so you know all right uh, <laughs> uh along those lines and talk about interleague play and you know the the importance of the offs or the postseason when you don't have interleague play and that you finally get a chance to see national league and american league teams compete like that Let's talk a little bit then about the, the way the postseason is structured because there were also a lot of suggestions here for things like, you know, let's get rid of the second wild card or let's maybe extend the playoffs a little bit. Make you know, I, I think the one thing that I don't like is that you can have a one-game playoff. I just don't dig on the idea that an entire uh, postseason fate can be decided on the luck of the draw for one game. See, I go the other way on that. You know, obviously I'm biased because the Tigers haven't been in it yet and I haven't had to deal with the insane amount of stress that that would provide. Although we did live through a certain game in 2009 that will not be named. Um, you know, I, I it's been very exciting to see that, you know, to see kind of how teams stack their lineup and think about, you know, what are these teams going to do? How early are they going to go to the bullpen? You know, what happens if you, ha- you know, use your ace in that game and then don't have him for game one of the next series and, and that stuff, you know, that type of thing. Um, you know, seeing Jake Arrieta go out and dominate, you know, seeing the Pirates get shut out a couple years in a row, you know, definitely has to be frustrating for them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, seeing how these how these games go down to the wire, um, you know, have been really exciting. I think last year's were kind of duds, but was it, you know, it was either 2013 or 2014 that we actually got, you know, one or two really good games. Oh, there was some really tight games. For the wild card. And, you know, it just adds a little bit of excitement. You know, it's, I guess it's unfair to, you know, the two teams that are necessarily in it and not, not making, you know, the, the real playoffs, quote unquote, um, but I think it's added an element of excitement to the game for the, for the casual fan that isn't necessarily there, uh, in any other playoff scenario so i you know honestly with the way the playoffs now are, i wouldn't change the thing yeah i like i said i disagree with it just because it's i, I feel like if you had the better record in this case we saw it because uh, the cubs had the better record over the pirates you know and so there was the the real possibility that the pirates could have just on the the, the the coin flip of that game gotten to move on when you know the cubs outplayed them during the season and you brought up exactly the thing that that the cubs had to pitch jake arietta in that game uh, you know, to close out the wild card and get into the divisional series. And they struggled, you know, against the Mets. And I remember thinking, God, why haven't they pitched Arietta? And then I realized, I'm like, oh, that's right, because he pitched the wild card. So they have to wait till, you know, game three, game four of that series. I thought, that's that's so unfair to not be able to start off, you know, the actual playoffs, a divisional series, not to, to not be able to start that off with your ace. I thought, yeah, screw that. Get rid of the second wild card. But that's that. Maybe I am older than I thought. I don't know. That really felt like an old man moment just now. Kind of a get off my porch. Well, how do you feel about the first wild card? Uh, <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I don't know. I now I am going to sound really freaking old because I realized that the whole problem was created when they introduced a central division. And that created this weird mathematical problem of, well, you know, you need an extra team for the playoffs to do a divisional series. And I don't know, maybe I would be in favor of going back to 
just East and West divisions so that you have an American League Championship Series and a National League Championship Series, and then you go to the World Series. See, but now you have more playoffs. I That's like that. That's true. I, I, yeah. I just want it. I want them to stop at this. No more. I'm I'm good with this. I'm with you. I, the playoffs, yeah, it's fun. I'm not going to lie. Having more baseball is a good thing. So I don't know what I want, really. But it doesn't matter. I don't get to make those rules. Somebody else does, and uh, I'm sure that they will. It's funny. You said earlier in this segment that baseball is so resistant to change. And yet when you look at the last you know 120 years or whatever – there have been a hell of a lot of changes. I mean, yeah, the the way the playoffs have changed in the last thirty years, even the introduction of an East and West division. I mean, it's it's there have been quite a few changes from the uh, from the original days. One rule that I want them to bring back is soaking. Back when the game first started, you could retire the batter and or runner by throwing the baseball at him, and if you hit him, the mf'er was out. I want them to bring that back. That would be it's like it's like dodgeball. Yes, exactly. Now you want to see Bartolo Colon get hit with a baseball <laughs> after he flails wildly and bounces out to third. I want to see him hit him. Uh, fun times. All right. That is going to be all she wrote for this episode of The Voice of the Turtle. Rob, any last words as we wrap it up? I'm just really, really ready for uh, for April, April whatever. We're whenever Opening day. I'm ready for opening day. Let's do it now. Fifth, seventh, ninth, whenever... That it's not even the real opening day. We don't get the actual opening day. No, because uh, they're they're opening against Atlanta, I think. Miami. Oh, they open it. They end the season in Atlanta. Then I yeah, think. it's we we yeah we're going to be the the final team to play at Turner Field. What in the seriously? They're opening the season and ending the season against the National League team. Yep, that's wrong. That is so wrong. Yeah, that's the that's the definitely the part I don't like about that is having to play a national league team to end the year and they ended what was it, two years ago they yes. ended the season in miami too yeah and they got uh no hit on the last day of the season oh, yeah <laughs> it was a walk-off no hitter at that whole Weird no hitter that series sucked really bad yep in agreement with you rob it's it's definitely time for baseball and uh, i'm really getting sick of walking outside and it's like negative three degrees and this morning i went out to my car and i tried to, to take a breath while I was outside and things started burning internally. It was so damn cold. I'm tired of it. So bring on the spring, bring on the baseball folks. Remember we are only one half of the conversation and you are the other half. So leave your comments for us at the website at blessyouboys.com. Find us on Twitter at hook slide BYB and BYB Rob, or send us an email BYB tigers at gmail.com. So on behalf of Robert Jackie and luxury taxpayers everywhere, this is Hook Slide reminding you that pitchers and catchers report in less than a month, but I'll be darned if that makes it feel any warmer outside. We will see you next time on The Voice of the Turtle.